Welcome to the Tidal Year, a series about the joy of swimming. With the help of some special guests, we'll discover the human stories behind why we swim. Together, we'll share tales from the places that helped us fall in love with swimming. From Lidos to lakes, by leisure centers in the ocean, I can't wait to dive into these magical places. I'm your host, writer and wild swimmer, Freya Bromley, and every week I'll be chatting to a new explorer, swimmer, author, or campaigner about what water means to them. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, TryHard. I love being in the water, but I don't love what pool chemicals like chlorine do for my skin and hair. TryHard develop water sports specialized skin and hair solutions that eliminate those negative effects of pool chemicals and ocean salts. I'm thrilled to share with all listeners of the Tidal year a very exclusive 15% off when you use code TIDAL at tryhard.co. If you're water obsessed like me, you will have been given at least one copy of Lido last Christmas. I was gifted too. It's a gorgeous coffee book that celebrates pool life with photography and writing from the best Lido architecture around the world. This week, my guest is the author of that wonderful book, Christopher Beanland. He's a writer, design enthusiast, and even has his own podcast. In this episode, we spoke about pool architecture, Britain's seaside destination history, and being loyal to your local London Lido. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll speak to you again at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Freya. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you. Your book, Lido, is actually, you know, pride of place in my living room. And it's one of those things that people always pick it up and they're like, wow, I think people are very drawn to it because it's got this gorgeous big blue cover. And it's really nice to have it there and for people to look through it and have all these amazing places. And me and a friend actually picked it up recently and took it to our local Lido, which is Brockwell Lido, and used it to pick a place to go on holiday, uh, deciding purely based on the pool, which is nice. Oh, my God, I love that. That's very sweet. That's that's pretty well. If it has any use apart from keeping the door open because it is quite heavy, then um, yeah, helping pe- helping people to choose where to go on holidays uh, is a good one. I actually did that myself as well. Like when I was thinking of you know the places I wanted to cover, I was like, yeah, this you know this could make a, a nice list of trips to go on and yeah, places to kind of see while I was researching. So I think it works well for that, definitely. Yeah, it's a beautiful collection of stories, contributions, history. Obviously, amazing photos. I love the bit, you know, being able to look at all the photos. I've actually found some great photographers to follow through that so that my Instagram can kind of be a bit more like taking a digital look into into your book. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey to get started writing and making that book a real living thing that, as you say, is very heavy, heavy thing. It's a big book. How did you get started with that process? It was really a labour of love. I've been swimming for a few years and I think. All of us who are swimmers can probably relate to this thing where you're in the pool and you actually have a lot of thinking time, don't you? Your your, your mind, sometimes you want to clear your mind and not think and just have, a, have sort of downtime. And other times it's actually oddly good for the creative process. So I was sort of thinking while I was doing it about the themes that underlie swimming, why we do it and what it means on a more profound level as well. Like, you know, the, the imagery and the philosophy behind it and 
the reasons we do it and the kind of social and cultural implications. So I wanted to kind of examine those things and then also tell the historic and architectural stories of the of the pools themselves and you know the, the swimmers that had been there in in decades before. So it was um yeah kind of all those things coming together and I have to mention Lucy Smith who was my editor at the time at Batsford who's another swimmer and we actually had a lot of our meetings in the pool at London Fields, which is quite quite a nice thing to do. But yeah, it was really, you know, her belief in the in the project and and I was kind of thinking, well, actually, it seems like the right time to do it as well with swimming being so popular. And you, you know as well, Freya, like, you know, tidal swimming, sea swimming, wild swimming, all these things are undergoing a real renaissance and you can tell there's there's so much interest, isn't there? You know, people DM me about my book, and I'm sure you know you get a lot of listens, a lot of listens to your podcast, and great reviews as well. People have said such kind things, and right, rightly so. And I think it's one of those things that actually is more than just exercise, isn't it? It's it's a deeper thing, and those of us that love to do it feel quite passionate about it. So passionate, and I think in. In big cities, or actually not even in big cities like London, but even just in today's world, finding community, finding neighbours, finding a place where people stop and say hello or are coming together to enjoy a shared hobby, enjoy a shared space, enjoy shared history is really quite difficult. And that's something where that always happens with with swimming, which is so special. I know I think I've mentioned to you before that my local is Brockwell Lido, and I love it there. And it's such a beautiful, special place. And the people there are so passionate about keeping its Art Deco history, having photos up of, you know, what it looked like in its heyday, preserving it, contributing to that preservation. And I think that's something that's really special. And you mentioned about kind of it having this renaissance. I mean, the the Lido book definitely came out around the right time for that. When was it that the book came out and what was really happening with a lot of local pools? Because I know there's a big section about Britain's lost Lidos. I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's all. It's really interesting, again, to hear your story, Freya, about you know going to Brockwell. Everyone you talk to, they have their local pool that they love, especially in London, especially in the city, where it's, it's really important to have those, those kind of places, um, places to go. and. Uh, in the case of Brockwell, I, I'm sure uh, you've read uh, Libby Page's novel, The Lido. I really, really loved that and spoke to her for my book. And Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? And options for a movie, that needs to get made into a movie ASAP because it'll be, it'll be brilliant. And I'm, I'm sort of thinking of one of my next projects is, is maybe making a short film around a Lido as well, maybe like a Lido love story, because I think they really are places where people come together and you get that community. Oh, I love that. Such a good meet cute meeting at the Lido. Unlocking your bikes outside. Love it. Exactly. I've got this idea about maybe this kind of old couple and they sort of see each other every day. And, you know, there's like, you always see those like really cute old people at the Lido. They always look so healthy and vigorous. And I love I love talking to them. They're, they're always such such great characters. So I think it's a perfect place for drama and perfect place for, for real life stories. But yeah, I um, wrote the book essentially just before lockdown and it came out in lockdown which is a really bad time we had to my PR Frida had to basically just rip up all the promotional activity that we had planned we were actually talking to the cafe at Brockwell about doing a launch there obviously that didn't happen and we were going to do some book talks and festivals and things 
it was quite sad, really. Also, you know, all of all of us um, found in lockdown. What was the one thing we missed? Well, obviously, friends and going out, but it was the pool as well, wasn't it? And when they closed the pools, that was quite difficult, especially because you know lockdown presented its own challenges, and for a lot of swimmers, the mental as well as physical health benefits are the things that we that we go there for. So it was quite odd in a way that the book came out, but actually you couldn't then go to any lidos. And I was, I don't, I don't know about you, Fred, but I was um, thinking, well, where the hell can I go for a swim? Went down to places like Shadwell Basin, <laughs> took one look and thought, mm, there's a lot of crisp packets floating in that dock. It doesn't, doesn't look so good, but the kind of, the well, you know, I had friends who live on the coast and I think, you know, lockdown was uh, not maybe not challenging for us all, but maybe not so bad for people that had access to the sea and to lakes and things where they could go go for a dip. But yeah, not having the pools was um, was a tough one, and it was quite odd having this book come out at a point where you couldn't couldn't swim. But then I guess when things reopened, then there was this big excitement, and actually we we kind of realised how much we we missed them. But then you had the whole. The whole thing which continues now with booking slots where it's almost like trying to get Glastonbury tickets right <laughs> trying to get like your afternoon yeah afternoon slot on a, on a summer Saturday you're there you know that those of us who are diehards one week before we're there on our phone so knowing that we need to get our slot a week a week ahead whereas before you could maybe just sort of I don't know about Brockwell but certainly with London Fields you could just kind of walk in but now it's um yeah more of a or the case of booking booking your slot, but I guess it shows that you know it's it is one of those things that that we all love and we miss really, didn't we, in lockdown? I think that's something really interesting about gatekeeping hobbies, isn't it? Is because I find myself complaining and going, "Oh, it's so frustrating that I can't get a slot for the Lido." All these people that just want to come and sunbathe, and I, you know, you you begin to to use language like "I need," "I need to swim," "I have to swim," and be there because it's such an integral part of your routine. But of course, it's wonderful where more people are getting into it and discovering swimming and often it's the people that stay throughout winter and become all year round swimmers is because they've tried it and loved it over summer which is great and I find that particularly interesting when it comes to local community action I was spent quite a lot of time in Cornwall this year and you see on Instagram people saying oh you know secret spot I'm not going to tell anyone where this is because I want to keep it just for locals or I want to keep this and you kind of getting almost like a slight division between the people who are consider themselves the real hardcore swimmers the other people and not wanting to to share it with everyone else and I find myself doing that a little (laughs) bit with the slots and have to remind myself it's great that more people are discovering it it's wonderful even if it does mean sometimes uh you can't go on the weekend yeah and and it's funny as well whenever I see your post Freya I always think oh my god I really want to go there because it looks uh, it looks so beautiful but yeah maybe you should disguise the location like don't put a geotag on (laughs) just be like you have to guess where it is they always look so so appealing, and we didn't uh, we didn't talk about lost lilos as well, did we? But I think that's that is another part of the story as well. Where actually the ones we have left are, are kind of only a small number of what what was once there, which is another reason that you know we have these supply and demand issues now because actually there aren't. It depends where you, which way you look at it. I mean, there are a lot of lilos, but actually for you know population wise, maybe there's not a huge amount, and certainly there was many many more before. You know, so many closed down in different parts of London. And yeah, there are huge, huge cities that don't have outdoor swimming, you know, pools like all the kind of Midlands and northern northern cities. And yeah, then we see these campaigns 
especially the people's pool in Liverpool, where they're trying to reopen that, which is um, you know, quite, a, quite a noted one. You talked about Cleveland on the title year before, the one in Bath, which is um, reopening, uh, well, it might even be, might be open by the, time, uh, by the time this is out. But yeah, there's certainly that kind of movement to bring back those ones that were closed. Then we also see the, you know, people like Chris Roma Lee, the architect who's trying to kind of design a floating pool on the Thames and the East London uh, Waterworks uh, kind of community project where they want to build their own, uh, their own kind of natural pool. So, you know, it's fair to say there's a lot of interest in, in bringing more pools back. And I'm sure whichever ones they open will, you know, naturally fill up because it's something that we all, we all want to do, right? Definitely. I think it's great to see that kind of community action, not just to save and look after ones that we have, but also to bring back ones that have been long gone. I was in North Berwick last year for the tidal pool there, which was kind of more of a paddling pool at that point. So we're kind of sliding around on our tubbies to enjoy that. But that was great. And there were loads of laminated signs just stapled to telephone poles or bus stops saying, bring back the outdoor pool there. And there used to be a Lido just around the Seabird Centre. And there's huge action to bring it to bring it back there. And I love that people are just putting up flyers on the street saying, this is something we want. If you want it to find out more information, that's great. And obviously in Margate, you have two amazing tidal pools. They're very spoiled. But also that Lido, which is very sad to walk around with all the old tiles. Why did lots of these shut down? Yeah, really good question, Freya. And I thought the same thing when I was I went for a swim in the um, tidal pool in Margate. Is that Wal- Walpole? Bay, maybe is, is that the one? Yeah, the one that's um, called, which is very, very, very busy. Lots of children. It's quite, quite chaotic. But yeah, great, great thing. And then yeah, you go to Clifton Lido, which is the, you know, this it was this huge one. There was a tidal pool at the front, and then the Lido, and there's the great big kind of sign thing that you see in a lot of photos with the orange top. It looks like a fairground. It looks amazing. But yeah, completely derelict. I would put if if I was a, a gambling man, I would put money on that not looking like that in ten or twenty years. I think there's you know that that seems so ripe for being restored. Obviously lots of you know hipster Londoners have moved to Margate, which will probably help that um, project on its way. I know many friends who've um, moved to Kent who would love to love to go swimming there. So that will probably um probably help that one. But yeah, it's um, it is a story that I told in the book, and I think well, no, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Fred, but I've been talking to a couple of people about maybe doing a sort of documentary, maybe a film or a series about Lido's, and I think the story that you can, yeah, I think the story that you can tell is really one of a, a, a three act play, really. So you have the sort of heyday of them in say maybe the twenties or the thirties the Art Deco ones, which look incredible, like Salt Dean and uh, Tinside in, in Plymouth. And they're kind of expressing this, this modernism, right? The ambition and optimism of the future, the kind of ocean liner style of design. You know, we often, in this country, we, we're really obsessed with history and the kind of chocolate boxy nature of history. But I love the architectural writers like Jonathan Meads who kind of show the grisly reality of, of, of what history could, could be like. And actually, you know, in the Victorian age, obviously we, you know, we have these kind of like buildings that were you know, very popular now with tourists who like to take photos of Big Ben and stuff. But 
you know, it was also quite a grey and difficult country. There was lots of slums and things. And what modernism was really doing and what Lido's expressed was this desire to build a new Britain. And you can see this in other countries as well, not just in Britain, but the 20th century was about building this, this new world for people where you'd have, you know, council houses and the National Health Service. And you see the Lido's sort of coming in the same era that you get Finsbury Health Centre, like this, you know, this, this kind of new... Um, new sort of free democratic world where people would be healthy and have access to doctors medical care good housing and lidos are a part of this as well so the architecture kind of represents this brave brave new age and that was all going very well you know until the after the second world war as well and then i guess you have the second act of the play where they fall out of favor you know, it's hard to kind of see cause and effect, like what's, you know, what's causing one thing and what's, what's, you know, just maybe everything sort of working together in this kind of washing machine of things all happening together. But you can see things like cheaper foreign travel, maybe meaning that people can go on holidays and they can, they can go to the beach, they can go to Spain. I mean, they don't just have to go to their local, local pool. And also, there was a weird thing which sort of caught my attention, which was maybe this idea that in the middle of the 20th century, we wanted to do these things inside. So you see, you know, like shopping malls appearing. So before you would do your shopping outside and then they thought, well, actually, let's build an indoor shopping mall and you can drive there in your car. And it was sort of the same with pools, right? So you see these indoor leisure centers appearing as well. And now, but, you know, both of those things have, well, all of those things have fallen out of fashion, right? Cars aren't fashionable anymore. We cycle everywhere. Indoor shopping malls, not really. You know, people want to do shopping in markets and in the street and new shopping centres like Granary Square are open air. And, you know, with leisure and swimming as well, you know, people maybe don't, people still go to indoor pools, obviously, and they have a place for sure. Like, you know, some, some people like to do that. And if it's a super cold day, even I can be tempted. Even I can be tempted inside sometimes to maybe cliss old, cliss old leisure centre or something for a few lengths. But you know, mainly people want to be outdoors again. So, well, another thing that goes with that era as well is like lo- you know problems with local government uh, spending where they had to close down the pools. But that's something that continues now as well. All councils are very hard pressed to kind of keep these things open, and it does it does take a lot of money and often a lot of volunteers and stuff. So. You know, without rambling too much, then you have the third act of the play, which is now the Renaissance. People love pools again. And yeah, they're kind of coming back. So yeah, it's sort of this three-act sequence. But it's interesting now that we live in this era when uh, actually we're loving Lidos again. They're being reopened. And, you know, the R2 Lidos, Brockwell and London Fields were both basically on the on the chopping block at one stage. And um, thankfully... You know they weren't they weren't kind of concreted over and houses built and they've they survived and some of the other ones not so lucky but I feel that yeah in the future we'll see more coming back. Yeah, I really hope so. And that's not to say that London Fields Lido and Brockwell Lido aren't without their flaws in the way that they're run. But it's great to see. I, I know as well for there's a heritage group that look after a lot of Lidos and pools and people more and more coming together about how they can run these places, not just as conservation projects, but also as effective businesses that work for the community, which I think is so important there. 
And I love your description of having it almost as a three-act play because it does feel like there's a real movement there. And reminds me as well to remember that fashion is a huge part of this. What's in trend, like you say, with cycling and being indoors or driving everywhere or being dry. And it's great that we're having that renaissance, but sometimes means that spending doesn't quite catch up. I think I felt that most going to Shulston Pool in Brixham, which is a lovely outdoor kind of Lido sea pool. And I know they had a lot of fights where the council was really hoping to close it so we don't have the money. And the people in the community in that part of the coast were saying, you know, the car park alone raises enough money to have a lifeguard here. Please keep it open. But the priority also isn't often there. But I've been really encouraged to see that, you know, the NHS are trialing um, a lot of studies in parts of the UK you know, prescribing swimming for mental health. And I wonder if that will then have a positive knock-on effect of people keeping pools open and saying these aren't just recreational spaces. This is a way to spend money effectively on keeping people well. And I'm really excited by that because I think once you start swimming, you really do see the the kind of mental health benefits. And you even say that in the beginning of your book, because I always really consider your books architectural delights full of these gorgeous photos and facts and history. But as I was looking at it again ahead of our chat, I noticed that it begins with saying to swim is to reborn. And really, that's about so much of what this is. Yeah, that's right, Freya. I think it's more than just getting into the water. And it is it is this feeling, those of us that do it, yeah, we, we do it and we feel... You know, I don't. I don't want to become. Uh, what is it they have in private eye suits corner? I don't want to overdo. It. I don't want to say like too much, but it it can be transcendental, right? Like you get into the water, you feel like a different person. You know, you think of things like religion. You think of things like birth. It feels special. You think of the fact that we're descended from you know water dwelling creatures who came out onto the land millions of years ago. There's all these things which make it feel special make it feel comfortable and yeah mental health benefits so important i know joe minnie hayne and i love his book floating where he takes a really personal journey into into swimming and how it's helped him with his anxiety i read that book and i put it down i thought oh my god this is this is really really important and you're right the nhs have done studies now it's so good for your mental health to swim I think, you know, anecdotally, I feel like if you go to the doctors, they will often say, have you tried swimming before? You know, they may be maybe trying to prescribe other things. And that's not to say that a lot of people don't need other other interventions. Don't stop taking your surgery and just go swimming necessarily. But there's certainly a place where swimming is is really, really helpful for for all those things and yeah it's it's you know it keeps you young it keeps your keeps your body and mind healthy and i think that is another of the reasons why as you say community groups are kind of coming together and they're saying well actually there are so many reasons why we need this pool it's not just the bottom line financially right it's more than that it can also generate tourism as well you know you and i go to these places as you were saying about uh, North Berwick which I, sh- I said to you didn't I? I was in Edinburgh at the, at the weekend I should have gone there for a swim it never um it d- didn't occur to me but that would have been that would have been perfect but yeah people go to those places Tarlair, Tidal Pool is being 
reborn in, in Scotland. And when I saw those photos, I thought, oh my God, I need to go there. So I think, yeah, there's all these reasons why actually it's more, yeah, it's more than just, yeah, it's more than just the bottom line. And the historic, the historic reasons as well, as, as you said, the historic cause of Britain, I think they're called who kind of work on, on maintaining the, the architecture and it's just yeah it's that feeling of community isn't it i, I went to um pell's pool in lewis and it was so sweet they were just i was i felt like a little i felt like a little bit emotional when i went there because they were so welcoming and they they were all saying oh my god we read your book and it's so nice and we you know we all love our pool and you meet the lot you know you meet the lifeguards maybe the 17 year olds who are just doing their summer job and the people that have been there for like 50 seasons and all the, you know, the local kids, the old people. And you just realise like, actually, it's just really important, really important, isn't it? It's so important. And to be welcomed in, people are always so welcoming when you go swimming. That's something that is just uh, remains so constant, which is why it's been, you know, a lot of the travelling I've done in the last year has been based on places to swim. And you feel like you experience places in a way that you wouldn't if you were just going for anything else. And especially if that's your local place, it's very, and a huge part of being well, I think, is belonging. And I really feel like I belong when I go to my Lido. And I've still never been to London Fields Lido, which is bad because it's really not that far. But I almost feel like I'm so loyal to Brockwell that I can't fall in love with London Fields just as much. Yeah, it's like cheating on it, isn't it? We should we should do a swap though. I'll come to Brockwell one day. You come to London Fields one day. <laughs> And at Brockwell, we have pizza. We have the Lido Cafe. So I don't think I need to sell it more than that. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be perfect. Swim and pizza. Can't beat it. Oh, exactly. Tell me a little bit more about some of the architectural gems of the best places, most beautiful places or most interestingly designed places that you've swam. Yeah, we talk, we've talked about a lot about Britain, haven't we? So maybe let's, maybe, let's move, maybe let's move away from Britain a little bit. I love some of the places that I wrote about were... Um, the New Deal pools that were built in, in the US in the era that we were just talking about in the 20s and 30s. Karen Pool in Brooklyn is, um, is quite an interesting one. It's absolutely huge. The, you can fit like thousands of people in there. And if you go in the summer, it's just absolutely rammed with, with people. So that's a really cool one. And that was, that was again, derelict for years. There's all these stories of um, people going to see like Daft Punk doing shows in that pool and loads of other kind of underground like music music events happening there so that's great all the australian ones i really love you know think about swimming australia is kind of the the, the place where swimming is um is so much a part of life it's it's almost everything really people talk about swimming they go swimming there are pools all over the place in australia and the north sydney one i really love it's got this kind of um this sort of jazz age kind of decoration with all these seashells and crabs and things like that. It's very jolly. And then all the tidal pools are amazing. Like Bronte is one of my personal favorites. I feel like I'm constantly getting tricked that I see pictures of amazing tidal pools in Australia. And then I see it says Wales or New South. I was like, oh, God, it's in Wales. I could go and visit. And then realize, of course, that it's in Australia. So one day we'll do a trip and go and see all the amazing, <laughs> yeah, exactly, see all the amazing tidal pools in Australia. But for now, I just stare at them in your book and they just look fantastic. Is it warm there? I can't even imagine what it's like to swim in Australia. Yeah, you would love it, Freya, because it's crazy. Like every 
coastal resort you go to has got a tidal pool. There's just there's dozens and dozens of them all all the way up the coast, and they're all slightly different. Yeah, it's it's funny with the sea, the sea being being so warm. One of the reasons you need them there is because the sea is choppy, though, which you quick you quickly realise. I remember um, the first time I went to Australia, I just do what I always do when I see the sea. I just run into it, and then you realise the rips are actually quite big and the waves are quite big and sometimes you have the jellyfish and stuff but yeah the pools there are great and there's some really um really cool ones ones with great stories as well like i wrote about evelyn willier who's this amazing uh swimming champion she was competing for australia you know pioneering female swimmer at the time when it was you know not seen as ladylike necessarily to be swimming and her and some of her colleagues just thought, well, we're not having that. We love swimming and we want to compete. And they did. And they, they went to the, the Empire Games, which was the forerunner of the, the Commonwealth Games and won medals and became stars. And I was so happy the last time I went to Bronte, I saw that a, a memorial had been put up by the pool for Evelyn Willio and her colleagues as well, Fanny uh, Durak and uh, some other female swimmers who were, who were pioneers who swam there. And they they put this memorial telling their stories, which is brilliant because it's, it's a really important story. And Evelyn went back to that pool and basically taught everyone in Bronte to swim. She was like a swimming coach. Everyone knows her. And yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic story. But again, you know, that link between, between pools and human story, it's unbreakable. You know, it's a real, it's not just some water. It's, you know, people go there and things happen. And um, yeah, the humanity, the, the kind of human interest stories are there to, to enjoy. So it sounds like you're working on a documentary about Lido's and also potentially a screenplay about Evelyn, because I would love to see that movie. I think it would be incredible. It would be incredible. Yeah, her story and yeah, Fanny, Fanny Durek, who was uh, another sort of pioneering female swimmer. Though, yeah, their stories are, are incredible, incredible. They, you know, they're fighting against so many things back in, the, back in the 30s and the 40s. And yeah, it's fantastic. And yeah, when you see like the place where they trained, it kind of, um, kind of brings it to life. But yeah, lot, there's lots of stories, lots of stories waiting to be told, for sure. I know you're really interested in storytelling as a writer as well, and also how that kind of intersects with your interest in architecture. And you've written a lot about brutalist buildings and brutalist architecture. Are there any buildings or pools or lidos that are particularly in that kind of style that are just totally unique and you think are amazing? Any favourites there? Yeah, I wrote a book about brutalist architecture. I love those kind of environments as well. Not so many. It's interesting, that era when you saw brutalist architecture was kind of the time where you're also seeing a lot of indoor uh, pools being built. So, yeah, that, that kind of correlates with more, more of the kind of indoor pools. I was walking past the Royal Commonwealth Pool in Edinburgh, which is this beautiful modernist building. But, yeah, that's, that's like an indoor, indoor one. There's one which I've always wanted to see in Croatia, which I put in, I just put in the book anyway, and I was, um, you know, I was going to try and see it in lockdown, but obviously, uh, COVID had other other ideas. But there's a hotel called the Halidovo Hotel, and that had this fantastic brutalist outdoor pool with all these crazy kind of fountains and really elaborate. I love that kind of Yugoslavian brutalist architecture from the sixties. But that's a place I really want to go to, and that's got an absolute bonkers history as well. It was. Um, was kind of set up by, I think it was like Penthouse Magazine, something like that. And they wanted to build this kind of like weird, like Western resort 
in uh, Yugoslavia and there's all these like weird stories of what happened but yeah that's a weird a weird kind of brutalist pool which was well when, when we did the book it was ruined I don't know if it's been kind of brought brought back to life now but yeah that's a bit of a weird one but yeah so many of these places have these have these kind of interesting uh, interesting side stories amazing stories and hopefully you know we'll continue to have new stories every as we have this renaissance and continued interest which I think is is so special as well. So that's one that I'm definitely going to going to look up. And I think I've seen some pictures, some black and white pictures of that actually. And the other one I was thinking of was like Lewisham Leisure Centre, which of course is indoors, but there's so much concrete in that building. It's mad. And it almost feels a little bit like being in a very odd spaceship in a very quiet way, which I think is is quite nice. Yeah, that's a really um really cool one. That was um by the yeah the, the the one in Brixton was by the the borough architect who designed um, loads of other uh, council council housing and there's actually a little bit of a link to yeah a book that I had out recently called Unbuilt which is about you know various ideas that we had for the future didn't didn't come true and that one in Brixton part of the reason it was built like that was because this is almost unbelievable but they wanted to demolish all of Brixton and replace it with 50 tower blocks and there would have been a motorway running right through the center of Brixton it would have been a ring road that went all the way around London and one of the reasons they built the leisure center like that is because the motorway would have gone right past there past the um, railway line and I think we can probably all agree that it's a good idea that that was never built (laughs) wow I had such a pang of like sadness of that idea of Brixton being a big motorway that's mad that's so interesting i haven't read and built and i'm so excited to leaf through it at all these amazing weird utopian dystopian kind of ideas you are so incredibly busy with all the things that you do it's amazing you've got novels and books about architecture and pools and i also spent some time on the weekend listening to park date your amazing podcast which is so fun and i don't know what kind of microphone setup you have but it's so lovely as you're talking to your guests about their favorite park to be able to hear trees and birds and people, you know, coming over to make comments about the dog that your guest's walking with. It's just so a sensory delight. That's so kind of you to say, Freya. Well, if you want to know what it is, this is, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just holding up the picture or holding up my Zoom microphone, which I borrowed from my good friend, Maylie Evans. Maylie, if you're listening, I will give this back to you at some point. But yeah, we we do that podcast part day outdoors, walk, walking around a park. I sort of, I don't think I've told anyone this. This is a, an exclusive for you, Fred, but I sort of wanted to do a Lido podcast. And then I thought, well, how would that work? There'd just be lots of slashing noises. And how would you kind of record while you're swimming? So I thought, well, let's do it in a park. I'm right, yeah, writing a book about parks as well, which is going to come out next year. So Oh, I'm so excited about that. It's amazing. It's so fantastic too, because obviously everyone gets very loyal to their local park and you learn lots about it and who designed it and when and what estate it used to be built on. Uh, but to learn things about other parks, I think makes you more keen to explore where you live. So I love it. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's that thing, isn't there, where I think it works with Lido's as well. You, you kind of feel when you're in a public space like a Lido or a park, I think you you know, it's an enjoyable place to be. I think you feel very relaxed. I think actually people are quite happy to kind of talk. Do you know what I mean? Like in the Lido, I I feel like we're, I was in, you know, travel a lot. And um, when I'm in different countries like Australia or maybe even Germany, I feel like people talk to each other a lot. And 
actually, we're quite repressed in Britain. And when you go to the tidal pool or you go to the beach or you go to the Lido, people kind of talk to each other and it's really, really nice. And I feel like that in the park as well. So I think, yeah, I was trying to sort of um, tap into that thing where, yeah, maybe you feel more talkative and more open. And yeah, with Park Day, I, I walk, uh, walk around the park and we have chats and dogs do naughty things and children, children come along. And there's crazy amounts of background noise. Scooter bells, yeah. Scooter, exactly. But I think it, I think it I think it kind of works in a weird way. I think it kind of brings um, brings it to life. Obviously, you'll have to you'll have to come on uh, come on part day as well, Freya. You can do um, can do Brock, Brockwell or wherever wherever you'd like to uh, like to do. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. I've got um, my book is coming out next spring, and there's a lot of arguments in there for Brockwell Park being the best park in London. So we'll have to debate. I can try and persuade you that that's true with lots of amazing facts about Brockwell Park. But going back to what you were saying about Lido's, I actually planned to do this podcast doing while swimming. So I tried lots of things. I tried mostly at the Serpentine because if you go to the Lido, often they won't let you have your phone in the pool or a mic. So I tried mics, getting a waterproof microphone, not very easy. Also trying to not be out of breath, swim, hold onto a float and hold a microphone, not very easy. But I actually found the best thing for recording uh, water noises was the iPhone, actually. But I think um, some of it was quite relaxing, but some of it also did, uh, listening to it, did give you the sensation that you were just listening to someone. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure. <laughs> I think we both, we both explored that and decided that talking in parks or talking remotely is probably a little bit easier. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, it would be, it would be good to bring that to life, wouldn't it? And um, yeah, having, yeah, if, if, if there was a, a way to do it, I think it would be... Um, it would be great, but I think we need more. We need more podcasts about about swimming, about wild swimming, and about pool swimming, and you know, TV shows and things as well. I feel like you know, I, I have these I have these discussions. I'm constantly trying to pitch these ideas to people, and you know, everyone everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, it's 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 great," but where's it going to fit? But I think actually, people you know, people are really interested in this kind of thing. There's programs for all sorts of niches, so. You know, maybe um, maybe there should be a swimming program along the lines of like Country File or something. Where go to the, uh, the you know? I love exactly. that idea. You could present it, Frey. It'd be great. <laughs> we can present it together. It'll be fab. And I think in the same way that your book really appealed to people in lockdown, these beautiful photos where people were, you know, are just awe inspired by these amazing natural watery places. It's the same on TV. People want it. They're hungry for it. And it's really nice if we can encourage people to do that more. Christopher, it's been so lovely to chat. I feel like I've learned loads about lots of Lido's. And also I'm going to be better at noticing things as I go around, especially swimming and especially looking out for some of Britain's lost Lido's too. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Freya. Great to talk to you. Thank you to Christopher for joining me this week. You can buy Lido wherever you usually buy your books, and you can check out Christopher's podcast, Park Date. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Try Hard. Say goodbye to Chlorine and shop their skin and hair products at 15% off with the code TIDAL. See you next week. <laughs>